Hey, I'm Pastor Chris, and the teaching or conversation that you're about to hear is from the student ministry at Cedar Crest Bible Fellowship Church. If you have any questions or you'd like to get into contact with us, please visit us on our website at cedarcrest.church forward slash students. Now I pray that God would use this resource to richly bless you in your walk with him. It is a joy to to hear how the Lord works. Um, I just was thinking of Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. It says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And it's, it's a joy to hear the Lord. The Lord saves. Um, and He saves through the hearing of His Word, with His Spirit opening our eyes to see the truth. So that was, that was so comforting to hear. Um, with that being said... If you have your Bibles there, if you want to open up to Matthew chapter 5, I will say for tonight, if you could be ready with your fingers to turn pages, um, we're going to, as we're looking at this beatitude tonight, I want you to see examples of it played out in scripture, I think is most helpful for us to kind of see more and understand of what it means. Um, so tonight we're going to be looking at um, meekness, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. And so I'm going to read that and then we're going to pray. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you so much that, Lord, even though I'm inadequate, even though that I'm not sufficient, Lord, you are. That your spirit, Lord, is what takes your word and, and takes it to the hearts of people. God, I can only preach your word and reach the outward man, but only your spirit can take it to the depths of people's hearts. So, God, I just pray that Jesus would be seen. God, I really mean this. Take me out of the way, God, that people would see Jesus. Lord, that is whom we preach. Paul would say, woe is me if I do not preach Christ and preach him and him crucified, Lord. It is his death as we were taking the Lord's table this morning. Lord, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, he died. He took our sins upon himself if we're in him, God. And he rose again, assuring our justification with you, being declared righteous because of him. And Lord, it is just such a beautiful thought that our only hope in life and death, our only hope in righteousness is in your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen. The last two weeks, we looked at verses three and four. Blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We talked about those who recognize their sinfulness, their empty spiritual bank account before God, that we cannot do anything to earn our salvation. We can't climb a ladder of good works up to God. We saw this morning in the Sunday service that the law of God, as we see it, that the Spirit uses that to show us that we fall so short. And it's when we come to that recognition that we could do nothing to earn His salvation, that we are sinful in His sight. We are brought to that state of being poor in spirit. And Jesus says, yours is the kingdom. Why? Because when we come to that recognition of our sin, we mourn, not because we merely fear hell, but the fact that we've sinned against our Maker, the holy, holy, holy God, 
who is just and righteous. And the fact that we've sinned against him, the spirit produces a mourning over our sin in us. But at the same time, we talked about as the spirit produces a mourning over our sin in us, he carries our eyes to Jesus. He carries our eyes to see the cross where the finished work, as we just sung, where Jesus died in our place, taking our sin upon himself and his perfect righteousness being credited to us through faith. That is the good news. But now we're going to see that, as I've said before, there's no accident in this list of beatitudes that Jesus gives here. He doesn't put it in random order. There's a specific sequence as they flow after one another, especially from that first one, poor in spirit. And so we're going to see meekness. And so I I just want to ask, how often, or raise your hand if you really have ever heard the term meek used in this world. So-and-so, right? You don't really hear, you don't really see that in advertisements. You You don't hear that in this world. And as I was thinking in my study, how this beatitude in verse 5, like the rest of the beatitudes, comes in complete opposition to the world. And this is why it describes a true Christian, because a true follower of Jesus Christ is set apart from this world unto holiness, set apart unto God, distinct from the world. We are changed through the gospel. And so I think the reality of not hearing this term that often. We don't know much about meekness. We see it here in Matthew 5. It may cause us to have a wrong understanding of what it is. So I want to start with number one. Um, what is and what isn't meekness? And so three, three things meekness is not. Now, this isn't really going to help us define it right away, especially the first one, but it's going to help lead us to what it really is. First, meekness is not something we naturally possess. None of these beatitudes we naturally are. We are not naturally poor in spirit. We, we think ourselves to be good people when we come into this world. We, we don't mourn over our sin because we don't see that as a problem in our life. We are not meek, which we'll see in a second. As we see in Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, which is another translated term for meekness. And gentle is not a bad definition. That's what it means. But I think it carries a much more deeper um, definition. But what I want you to understand is meekness is in the garden of the spirit. We are not naturally meek. So when we learn about meekness tonight, I want you to understand that only true followers of Jesus can be this way. Secondly, meekness is not a surface level kindness. How many of you have met friends or you know some people who don't know the Lord, people of the world, who would you, you would consider a kind person, a nice person, friendly, right? I, I know some people that way. But when people think of meekness, that's probably what they think of, a kind person, a gentle person, a friendly person. And there are people who appear that way, but that's not meekness. And so I want to give kind of a simple illustration of this. And, I, and you'll see where I'm getting at after the illustration. Say, say you have two teenagers in a home. And one teenager is asked by mom and dad, go clean your room. And the other one's asked to do the same thing, go clean your room. The one teenager, and if we're honest, this was us a lot of times, stomps an attitude towards their room. They don't really want to do it, but they do it anyway because they fear the punishment. Right? That sounds like probably all of us at some times. Stomps, goes to the room with an attitude, doesn't want to do it, but doesn't want to face the punishment for not doing it, so they do it. The other teenager 
This seems like not a reality. Wants to obey mom and dad, and loves mom and dad, and willingly wants to obey and goes to the room with a smile and cleans the room up and does it. Now, both teenagers did what they were asked, right? But what's the difference between those two? Exactly, right? They had different attitudes, different motives, different heart postures behind the action. And so when I was thinking of this kindness we see in the world, my point is this. There are many people in this world who we could say are kind, but where is their heart really at behind it? And I was trying to think of some examples. I think there are people in this world who just fear disagreement with others. They are people pleasers. They, they don't want to have any issues. They don't want to have any conflicts with people in the world. They're just friendly with everyone. Now, I'm not saying we should seek conflict, but these people, they want to have a good reputation. They don't want people to speak bad about them. They want to please others. That's their motive. And so they just have this kind of kindness, this friendliness towards others, which friendliness is a natural thing, but that's not meekness. So that's another thing meekness is not. Thirdly, Meekness is not weakness. It's not somebody who's like a doormat that just gets stepped upon. It's not that person who will, or should I say, one who will not take a stand for what's true because they want peace at all costs. Meekness, as one lexicon says, this is what a definition that's offered. Not being overly impressed by a sense of one's own self-importance. In other words, a person who is not overly concerned about themselves. Now, what does that definition sound a lot like? It's the opposite of pride. Humility, right? And humility carries a lot to it, but I think there's even more to it. But when we look at Matthew 5, now we kind of get into what is it? We've seen what it's not. Okay, now, so this carries a question. What is meekness? Well, in Matthew 5, I don't believe there's enough information here to answer really what meekness is. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But something, a a good 101 Bible lesson for studying your Bible, wherever scripture where you're seeing may not be so clear on something, we must look at other scriptures that are more evident and shine light upon that area. And so I want us to turn our Bibles to Psalm 37. Psalm 37, where you're going to see um, something that sounds very similar to Matthew 5. Psalm 37. And I have a lot more places I want to go to after this, so I'm going to try not to go too fast, but I'm going to try to give just a good amount of time here. Psalm 37. And just look at verse 11. Tell me if this sounds familiar. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Here we see the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. But what's really interesting is David, before verse 11, shows us what this person's like. And starting with verse 1 in Psalm 37, he says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Now, David is in a situation where there are wicked people, people who are not of the Lord, that seem to be prospering, doing well, 
probably seen that before as a Christian. You see people, their life seems to be going very smoothly. But David starts to discern their end. He says they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. These people in this world who are outside of Jesus Christ are headed for destruction. He doesn't envy them because he knows following Jesus, having the joy in knowing God is utmost. But he says, fret not yourself, meaning to be furious, hot, burning fury. And so what we see here with David, a meek person has a strong confidence in God. He is looking around at the wicked. He sees them prospering. He's not oblivious to that, but he understands who his God is and his faithfulness and is not jealous of the wicked's prosperity because he knows their end, that they are on the road to destruction. So the meek person has a strong confidence in God. But even further, look at verse three. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. I will say when I was reading this, I was strongly convicted. The Lord really exposed my life in areas where I do not befriend faithfulness. And I want to explain that. Firstly, I want to say the meek person entrusts himself or herself to the Lord. David says, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. You notice where David's at. You know what David's saying? Right where the Lord has me, I'm going to stay. And I'm going to be a friend of faithfulness and be faithful right where I'm at. And there are times, and I'm young, I have not experienced a whole lot, but there's been some situations in my life where I'm at a situation where it may not be the best situation. You know, and I have to go through this. It may not be so easy, but we need to come to this understanding. A meek person comes to the understanding, you know what? God has me here. I'm going to entrust myself to him and I'm going to befriend faithfulness and be faithful and content right where I'm at. As one person says, it's easy to get a dog to run, but it's hard to get a dog to stay still. And so sometimes it can be difficult to do that. But those who are know Jesus can be content and trust in the faithfulness of Christ in all situations. I just want to look just at verses four and five. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The meek person's delight is in God and the desire of their heart is God. And then verse 5, we see, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. As I this kind of alluded to this in verse 3, the meek person is content with the Lord to do with them as he pleases. It's like the Lord's prayer. Hallowed be your name. That's the primary. We live to glorify God. That's our primary focus. We're going to see that in a moment. That's the meek person's primary focus is the glory of God and not self. It's his will and not mine. It's not, I pray so that God would submit to my will. I submit to yours, Lord. Do with me as you please. And I am blessed to be right wherever you have me because it comes from your hand. And so this is, this is a lot of what the meek person is that David is describing. And so after examining this, I would say the definition I would give for the meek person is this. One who is primarily concerned with the glory of God in all things, and is not overly concerned with themselves and their own interests. I didn't say concerned at all with themselves, overly concerned with ourselves. And so this is where we start to see here. If you look back at Matthew 5, if we turn back there. Sorry, I should have had you keep a finger there. 
But back in Matthew 5, this is where we start to see, as you just kind of got a little bit more of an understanding of meekness, and we're going to see what it looks like in a moment in Scripture. This is where we see that Jesus is not just randomly putting the Beatitudes in order. He starts with, blessed are the poor in spirit. As I said, those who recognize that they're sinful in the sight of God, that they can do nothing to earn God's favor, that their debt before God, their sin debt is so great It can never be paid off with any works, anything we could ever do. And this sinfulness we have, the reality that we've sinned against God, causes us to mourn over our sin. And it causes us to turn to Jesus. And friends, the moment that you turn to Christ, truly, when you come to Jesus and place your faith in Him and you've been changed by the gospel, it brings you right here to this meekness Your pride, your self-centeredness, your trusting within yourself, your living as if you're the center of the universe is crushed. You're brought to that state, realizing that your debt before God was so great that you don't deserve His grace. You deserve the just punishment for your sin. But when your eyes have been opened to that reality, you also see the mercy of God with the clouds coming away. And you see Jesus on the cross and you come to that recognition of His grace, how abundant it is that, a, that such a holy and just righteous God would save a sinner like me. And friends, this causes you to become meek. All of a sudden, the glory of God becomes your center focus. The good of others and loving others truly, loving your neighbor as yourself becomes something you want to do. That motive we were talking about before with those two teenagers You want to do it. You want to live for the glory of God. And yes, we still struggle. At times we don't live for the glory of God. At times we don't love others as we should. But through the reality of the gospel, we no longer walk around thinking we're the center of attention. We no longer think ourselves to be good. We understand that we're not good. But Jesus is perfect. And His righteousness, if we come to Him and place our faith in Him alone to save us, is given to us. So he's saying his righteousness at the right hand of God. And so we, we start to see more of what meekness is. We saw what it wasn't, what it is. Now, what does true meekness look like? That's secondly. And we're going to try to kind of go through this at a good pace. Numbers chapter 12. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it for you. Numbers chapter 12, verse 3 says this. You can turn there if you want. But Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. This is what God says about Moses. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. God calls Moses in that time the most meekest man on the face of the earth. But you know what's interesting? He doesn't just say that. He says this in the midst of something. God calls him the meekest person in the midst of of a situation where people who are closest to him, his brother and sister, are speaking against him. And so something I want to share, something that I heard at D3, for those of us who went there um, in Kentucky back in June, one of the preachers said this about the fruits of the Spirit, and meekness is one of them. He said, if we examine the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, we will notice that most of these fruits are displayed when others have hurt us. And that's really where it's tested. And so what we see is you have the people of Israel. Imagine being Moses. 
They're constantly grumbling and complaining. All through their their 40 years of the wilderness walking, they're complaining, no food, no water, but God's been providing for them the whole way. He's been faithful, even when they were faithless. And then there came a time when two people who were closest to Moses, his brother and sister, spoke against him. In Numbers chapter 12, it says, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. And what happens is, After they speak against them, this is what God says further in that passage. I want you to hear this. The Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. There were many prophets and God spoke to them through visions and dreams. But listen to what he says about Moses. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth. Clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Moses got to see God's backside. And then he says, why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? You see, Moses was a privileged prophet. He got to speak word to word with God on Mount Sinai. And so, you know what I was thinking of this? How can I make this applicable to us? How can we understand this? You know what the world most likely does in a moment like this? When you have somebody who, in the world's view, is privileged. Somebody who has a high power, high status, a really high-paying job, and a high position in their career. And somebody speaks against that person. You know what the world usually does? They use that power to take that person down. That's what the world does. How dare you attack me? How dare you speak against me? Now I'm coming for you. But that's not what we see here. We see that the judgment of God comes upon them. Miriam was leprous. Aaron turned toward Miriam, but behold, she was leprous. But you know what Moses does. He doesn't do what the world would do, as I just showed you. This is what Moses says after they speak against him. Moses cried to the Lord, Oh God, please heal her. Please Judgment comes upon them. And how does Moses respond? He doesn't say, take that for speaking against me. He pleads to God for them to heal Miriam. Moses is not concerned about his own reputation, about himself, but that God would be merciful to them. A part of meekness is that we desire for others to have the mercy of God come upon them. But something even greater, and more of you are familiar with this, I'm accounting scriptures. Exodus 32. Exodus 32. This is where the people of Israel worshiped the golden calf, committed such a gross form of idolatry. And in Exodus 32, 9 through 10, Moses is on Mount Sinai. He's receiving the Ten Commandments from the Lord. And while that's happening, the people of Israel are down below worshiping a golden calf. You know what's interesting? Before they even hear the law, they're already breaking the first commandment, committing idolatry. And Moses said, the Lord says to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Put yourself in Moses' shoes for a second. 
God says he's going to consume the people, pour his wrath out upon the people who have been disrespectful to you, who have been grumbling all along the way, complaining all along the way. And God says he will make a great nation of you. Now the world says, that sounds great. That sounds great. The world would be all over that. But Moses' response is this. Moses is not changing the mind of God. God is sovereign. His plans do not change. God is showing us something here. Moses implored, meaning begs, in verse 11, if you're in Exodus 32. Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. Friends, Moses knows that God made a covenant with Abraham. God made a covenant with Jacob, with, with, with Isaac, with Jacob, the people of Israel. And so, and, and that was, and, and then God delivers the people of Israel out of, a, out of the land of Egypt when they were in bondage to rescue them. And so what Moses is saying, I want you to see this. We talked about the meek person is concerned primarily with the glory of God. Moses is saying, Lord, if your wrath comes upon and consumes all of them, your name will be blasphemed. Your name will be spat upon by the Egyptians who witnessed you delivering these people. As he says, they will um, with evil intent say, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Moses is zealous for the glory of God and wants his glory to be honored. And so meekness always is together with a passion for the glory of God. But even further, and, and, and we're, we're almost getting out of time here. Even further, in verse 19, so Moses was just on the mountain pleading for the people of Israel. And now he comes down in verse 19 and sees the idolatry. They're worshiping a piece of gold rather than God. And Moses says in verse 19, and as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of of the mountain. Moses sees the glory of God being trampled on. He sees the glory that should only be going to God alone going elsewhere. You see that a lot in in our day, don't we? We see the glory of God going to so many things. Even our own hearts are prone to take the glory to ourselves or to something else. Friends, does it stir our hearts with a holy a a provoking within that the glory of God is being trampled upon. Does that bother us? Are we so concerned with the glory of God that we're bothered by that? But even after this, after Moses was pleading with them in the mountain and then he sees the idolatry and he throws the tablets down in, in, in hot anger, then in verse 31 to 32, at the end of chapter 32 in Exodus, we see Moses return to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, 
But if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. This reminds me of the Apostle Paul in Romans 9, where he says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul goes further in saying, For the sake, if they would come to Jesus, I'd rather me myself be a cut off from the people of God so that they would come. Such a heart for the glory of God and for others over self. And as I'm reading this, I just think of how often I'm prone to selfishness. Friends, those outside of Jesus, I want you to understand this. Outside of Christ, we are primarily concerned with self. I think it's ironic that the middle letter of sin is I. Because that's who we think is central. And it's through the gospel. It's only when we truly come to Jesus that we see that the world is not about us. That it's about him and we want to live for him. And so I want to, I want to close by where I believe every sermon should point to, and that's Jesus. I want to ask you a question before we close. Where is the greatest example found of people coming against Jesus, threatening him, mocking him, spitting on him, speaking strongly against him, and Jesus responds in meekness? Hmm? Someone say the cross, the cross, Jesus, the innocent, perfect son of God comes down into earth, lives the life you and I can never live, friends, a life focused solely of bringing glory to the father. And that's very clearly expressed in John 12, father, glorify your name. Jesus lives perfectly, obediently to God, doing the will of God perfectly, fulfilling the law, something you and I cannot do. We learned that this morning. We fall so short. And then he goes to the cross. I just picture Jesus carrying that cross, being mocked, spat upon, that humiliation, that walk, going to the cross, being spat upon, but most more severely taking the wrath of God upon himself in the place of all those who are his friends. If you're in Christ, he did this for you. He took the wrath of God that we deserve upon himself so that we could be rescued. But friends, while he was on that cross, while those Roman soldiers nailed him to that cross, he cries out, He doesn't revile in return. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know what I just thought? How easy we have a spirit of unforgiveness. The meek person is the one who wants to forgive. And and I just think of a parable Jesus taught of an unforgiving servant. We have to understand the debt we have before God with our sin. And this is why the, this, the, we become meek when we're a true follower of Jesus. We recognize how huge our debt was before God. It was immense. And He forgave that. And we think of any offense we could face from a friend or someone at school or anyone in this world doesn't even come to any comparison to what we did to God. If God has forgiven us, We forgive others with meekness. 
When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. But friends, just like Moses slammed the tablets down because God's glory was being trampled upon, meekness also looks like that with Jesus when he saw his temple being used like a business. Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. They were, they were treating the, the temple of God like a bank. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. The zealousness of the glory of God. The Jesus who was not afraid to be seen with a Samaritan woman. Not afraid to be seen with outcasts of society, diseased people. The one who is perfectly meek, friends. But this Jesus, I want you to hear this and we'll close with this. Jesus says in Matthew 11, hear the words of Christ. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Notice Jesus right before he says, for I am meek and lowly. He says, learn from me. Friends, the only way we can grow in learning from Jesus, being more conformed to Jesus, being meek in this way of being zealous for the glory of God primarily in our lives and loving others as we love ourselves, is if we have come to him. If we have come to the cross. And so I want to ask you, have you come to Jesus? Does meekness describe you? Now, listen, as you hear this tonight, I'm not asking if you are perfectly meek. We, we, that would totally misunderstand the whole purpose of the gospel we're not perfect even as believers we need to grow and so maybe this is an area as a follower of jesus which i know i need to grow in or you may need to ask the lord tonight lord help me to grow in being meek ask yourself am i concerned with the glory of god more than myself am i concerned for others more than myself would those around me be able to recognize that i don't seek to live for myself anymore that i have been changed by the gospel. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. They will be dwelling with God forever in the new earth, the new heavens for all eternity. Let's pray.